Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Wait, we forgot to wake up the glee club. Hey everybody, welcome to Unlocking the Magic. We are so thrilled today and truly honored to have with us a very, very special guest, someone that has done such incredible things within the Walt Disney Company. He is an official Walt Disney Imagineer. I am talking about Roland Crump, better known to many of you as Roly Crump. I'm so excited to have Roly on the show today and talk about his story from his humble beginning, starting as an in-betweener, when he actually took less money because he really wanted to work with the Disney company so badly. He actually took a pay cut, half his salary from his other job he was doing to work for the company. And just a truly amazing story of pursuing what you really want to do in your life. And look how it's turned out for him after all these years. Such an incredible story, such an artistic person with such, such wonderful talents and so honored to have him. It's amazing all the attractions he worked on, the Haunted Mansion, Small World, the Tiki Room, and with no real formal training. No real formal training, just had a passion for art and took a leap of faith. And it worked out pretty well for him, I'd have to say. It's exactly the message I try to share with my kids, my family. Just follow your passions and dreams. Um, his wife, Marie, joined us on this call as well. And after, towards the end of the episode, we kind of got to talk to a little bit more to Marie about, you know, why we do the podcast and the history behind the Walt Disney Company. And she seemed to enjoy our passion for the podcast and why we're doing it. She was so much fun. And truly, I believe that she got me to relax because I don't think I would have been able to say too much on this episode if she wasn't around. So. She got you too, because at one point you said you talk for me. And I think she understood that because she kind of chuckled and said she totally understands you. I love it. It was so much fun. Can't thank them enough. So, Can't wait to get this started. Yeah, so all right, guys. We're going to stop talking now so you can enjoy this interview with Disney legend and Imagineer Rolly Crump. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Super excited again. I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I am a little nervous, so it might be just Bruce <laughs> doing a lot of <laughs> the talking. Yeah, Connie, Connie's super go nervous, ahead. so... We're gonna have I'm gonna make her talk a little bit more than uh, she would like to. Okay. I think. Don't be listen. Don't be nervous for God's sakes. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> the guy around the corner for God's sakes. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. So, we we're excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Sure. And we really want to hear about, you know, how you kind of got started. We have. Uh, so many stories that we've heard about you and the Walt Disney Company. We'd love to take it back to the beginning and kind of tell us how you got started there. <laughs> how far back do you want to go? <laughs> Probably three years old. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously. Um, I, I was three years old when I saw The Three Little Pigs and, you know, the Disney film. 
And I was blown away by that. And uh, it, that was my first introduction to animation. And so I just thought it was absolutely incredible. So it all started when I was three. Wow. And of course, I loved to draw. And uh, I couldn't keep the pencil out of my hands. So every day when I got home from school, I'd start drawing and, and listening to the radio. And between the radio uh, and the stories that they told me, my anag- imagination got pretty strong. So I just basically continued uh, being in love with Disney, you know, because you're talking about an artist in love with artwork. So I think that was basically the beginning of the whole thing. Wow. Did you do anything artistic for work before you worked at Disney? No, no. I worked in a pottery <laughs> and I worked, I worked, you know, building super manholes. <laughs> there was no artwork going on with those little jobs I had. No, I never did. Now, my art was strictly for me after work uh, at home or, you know, that was it. That's amazing. So when you first got, how did you first get introduced to work for Disney? What was that point like? How did you get started there? And what was the first job that you had there? And how did you get it? Oh, okay. Um <clears throat> Well, in 1952, there was a friend of my mother's that had worked for Disney Studios, and I met her at a little party we had, and she told me about how she used to work for Disney in animation. I said, oh, my God. I said, I'd give anything to work in animation at the studio. And she said, well, I'll give you a phone number to call. So she gave me a phone number to call, and I called the gentleman and told him I would really be interested in working for Disney. And I had absolutely no clue of what animation was or what you did when you worked in animation. All I knew was I wanted to work for Disney. So they uh, they were very sweet and polite and asked me to come in for an interview. So I went in for an interview and met with them, and then they said they wanted me to come back and bring my portfolio and show them that, and which I did in about a week. And then they said, we'll let you know if we're interested in hiring you. And basically uh, told me that they would, my wages would start at $30 a week. Well, I was working in a pottery making $78 a week, and I thought to myself, well. I, can't, I can't afford to work for Disney. <laughs> so I went to my mom and asked my mom, and she says, honey, you always want to work for Disney. She says, go for it. It'll all work out. And so I did. And, I, and on weekends, I worked building sewer manholes. And I made more money on the two days as a, as a, as that, doing that, mixing the mud and everything, than I did all week long for Disney. But I was so thrilled to be able to work for Disney and get to know all these artists that indirectly taught me. That's a great story. Do you ever think back to when you had to make that decision to go there and make less money? What if you didn't take that chance? <laughs> Don't ask me. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you something interesting. Growing up, you know, when I did in the early 30s, you know, which was the uh, kind of depression time, the most important thing was to have a job. Mm. And I started uh, delivering medicine to, I got a job working in a pharmacy, delivering medicine to people that, that couldn't come in to get it from the pharmacy. And so I was on a bicycle delivering this medicine all over Santa Monica. And I was thrilled to have a job. And I made uh, $2.50 a week. So I was so thrilled to have a job and making that kind of money. (laughs) I I, I couldn't care less. 
Were you married at the time when you took a chance to make less money? Because I know personally it's tough to raise a family and then, you know, you want to pursue your dream, but not necessarily sometimes that dream doesn't equate the money that is needed to support a family. Was, was your, were you married at the time? And that was that must've been nerve wracking if so. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, actually, uh, that's a good question because after I, I was in animation and I began to grow up through the ranks from an in-betweener to a breakdown or from a breakdown to an assistant. And every time you did that, you got a, a weekly raise. And uh, I know that once I finished, um, I think it was the uh, uh, Tramp, you know, Lady in the Tramp. Lady in the Tramp. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been making, I had gone all the way up to being an assistant, but then all of a sudden there was a layoff. And so they started cutting back. And so I went from assistant to breakdown to in-betweener. And when I was uh, brought into being an in-betweener, I, I was to the point to where I really couldn't work there anymore. So I had to ask, I asked for a leave of absence, and they said, no, you have to quit. And I said, well, I don't want to quit, but I want a leave of absence. So I quit, and I went working for another gentleman that was in construction. And so I did that for about six months. And then one day they called me and said, well, we're going to do the Mickey Mouse club and we're going to have a lot of animation in the mickey mouse club we'd like to bring you back as an assistant i said i'll be there tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) what were you doing for the animation were you were you drawing or what were you doing as part of that well when you went back what were you actually doing were you oh well actually i was working as uh as an assistant animator to a fellow and we were doing there was a lot of um animated inserts that went into, uh, you know, the uh, Disney, Mickey you know, Mouse. the Ma- Imagineers and the, I mean, excuse me, the... Um, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and uh, so I worked on a lot of whatever came in, and it was all uh, kind of quick little pieces of animation that were plugged in, you know, to that time frame. And then eventually I got into uh, Sleeping Beauty and started working on that. Wow. And we worked on that for five years. Wow. Yeah. Five yeah. years you were employed. <laughs> that's really yeah, that's great. that's a long time. That's a long time. Wow. Well, you have a very uh, certain style that you draw with, and Connie loves the style that you that you have with all your artistry. She's really uh, fascinated with it. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, she is really. <laughs> I really am. It's so cutting edge, and for the time it must have been. I wish I grew up in that era, but I didn't. But I, yeah. I appreciate it so much, and it's cutting edge now. I can't imagine what it must have been like back then. Can you describe? Your style, your style that you developed, yeah. obsessed with it. Oh. <laughs> she wishes she had grown up in that time. <laughs> yeah. But it's still cutting edge now. It was cutting edge then, and yeah. it's cutting edge now. Well, that's the evolution. Uh, I'll tell you, it, you know, I was, I'm self-taught. Because and the reason I am because I was a good sponge. I would see things that I liked and I'd stick them in my little mind or in my mind or whatever and tuck it away in there in my memory. And so I fell in love with all the different artists, uh, painters, and so I was just thrilled to death to learn about all these different people and then actually uh, try to emulate them. And so as time went on. I developed my own style, and my own style was probably 
from about 25 different people's styles, but I kind of put it all together into one and made it, and I made it funky. My style's always been funky, which is, which is because you're a cartoonist. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was the first major project that you were responsible for working at the Disney company? For Disneyland? For Disney. Oh, oh, out of animation. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I left animation and went to work for Wes. Right, right, right. That's oh. a whole other topic, actually. I wanted to get into that, too. Yeah. Um, when did that I happen wanted... for you? Oh, yeah, when I went to WED, um, I did a lot. Of, I worked in the model shop a lot on the projects that we were working on. But the first real uh, job I had or the real position they gave me was they told me they were going to make me an art director. <clears throat> I said, okay. And so they were redoing the uh, Jungle Cruise uh, in the Jungle, excuse me, in, in Adventureland. Mm-hmm. There was the Bazaar, and the Bazaar was where they sold rubber lizards. It was a <laughs> funky little building in, in there, in that area. And it was dark, and it was kind of dreary. And they they decided that they needed to upgrade it, and so they said, "Rolly, uh, we'd like to have you do this." And so I said, "Okay, fine." And the good news was, and again, constantly learning from everyone I worked with. So mm-hmm. I was assigned to work with this fellow that was the head of um, um, merchandise at Disneyland, and so he kind of taught me about this little store that I was going to do. And I had no budget at all to work with, and I couldn't afford to do much. So what happened was he introduced me to the Boneyard. Now, the Boneyard is a piece of real estate at Disneyland where they put all the stuff that they don't use anymore in the Boneyard. They don't throw it away. They keep it. In this particular case, they kept all the ticket booths that they had been using for years. So I went into the Boneyard, and I got these ticket booths out. I made them cash register stands in my bazaar. So three, I think three or four of them were used in the bazaar. And then I found a a lot of other turn posts and stuff. So actually it was just great. It was like a little junkyard that I went into and to be able to bring it out, paint it bright colors and add things to it. And all of a sudden the bazaar became a real bazaar. And so that was my first attempt at that. And I do remember the night that we opened it was a, 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 what do you call it, a graduation night. So the whole place was filled with kids. And uh, Walt showed up with his wife. And he knew that, obviously, he knew that I'd been doing the bazaar. And he just loved the bazaar. And we'd use a lot of mirrors in that, which, which I learned from working with Jack Olson in merchandise. that mirrors are so important in stores. And so Walt just loved the mirrors and kept pointing to him and saying, see, they makes it look, this room look like it's twice as long as it really is. And he was going on and on and just loved it. And I, and I thought that was incredible. I just loved the fact that he enjoyed what it was that I had done. You didn't necessarily try to do it for him. You did it because you were so immersed in that um, that design. So it's incredible that you were able to do such a thing. What, why are, I'm just curious, why are mirrors so important? Oh, yeah. Why are they so Oh, yeah. Well, you know what they are? <clears throat> they open up an area. And uh, Jack Olson, the fellow that I worked with, he was known for the candle shop at Disneyland. And what the candle shop was was a little tiny shop right on Main Street. And 
it sold candles. And so what he did was he put mirrors on four of the walls and all around, he just tons of mirrors, and the candle shop looked like it went forever. And, and it was a kind of a magical illusion by using mirrors in merchandise. Did you guys ever see that? Yes, yes. Yeah. When oh, you walked in there, it yeah. was like it oh, went yeah. on forever. Yeah. yeah, it did. It looked like it went on forever. And, of course, candles being hanging from the ceiling and everything, that made it even look more. You know, more. Uh, and so here I am thinking that there's just a ton of candles in there. I didn't realize there was a mirror, actually. <laughs> so you, they I didn't was... realize there were mirrors. Oh, really? Was <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when you get that many mirrors working, you don't realize there's mirrors. You just think right. there's more and more candles. Right, right. So what would you say, I know this is going to be really hard, but if you had to pick one of the most memorable projects that you worked with, what would be, and that includes you know, in animation and in Disneyland, if you had to pick one thing that you, whether it be because, you know, you, you triumphed and did so many things or if it was, it was a challenge, what would be your most memorable project? What would be your most memorable project, whether it was something you did in animation or for Disneyland, you know, if it was something that you did that... Yeah, well, actually, Marie and I have talked about this in great lengths. Obviously, it was a Tower of the Four Winds that I did for the World's Fair mm-hmm. because it all was it all started with me building a little tiny propeller and having it in my office. And because of the air conditioning, the the air conditioning would send this nice little hunk of air down the wall. So you put the little propeller against the wall, the propeller against the wall, and all of a sudden this little thing is just sparkling. And so I was absolutely amazed and thrilled with that. And then I I started building tons of them. So I used to have about 30 different little pieces of sculpture in my office with propellers all over them. And Walt saw my exhibit and remembered those propellers. And so eight years later, he called me and he says, you know, we're going to the World's Fair and and we're going to build Small World. He said, I want you to design the marquee for Small World. So I did, and it was the Tower of the Four Winds. Wow. Now, the, the marquee in the Small World in Disneyland is amazing. Um, I would love to hear the story behind how you designed that. Well, that's a story that goes on for four or five days. Um, (laughs) It was not an easy one to answer. Um, I I don't know. I guess probably working with Mary Blair and being madly in love with her style. And we actually, her style is what small world is. It's it's a Mary Mm. Blair small world. And so working with her and all of that, um, It was easy for me to imagine what the facade would look like because I had so many books of her artwork that it was stuck away in in my head and everything. So I began to actually do a better job on three-dimensional design of her work than she was because I was more more involved and, and I was always building models. So I knew how to take her artwork and build a model around it. So that's exactly what I did for the facade. I just did a, a model of what I thought the facade should look like and um, just took him from right from, from her work. Wow. It seems like you were always evolving and learning. That's incredible. Oh, yes. Oh, for the sponge. Like sponge. I said, I was always a good sponge. Uh, I wanted to learn, but, you know, the interesting thing about it is it's better that you teach yourself. Because if you're, what you do when you teach yourself is you're constantly looking for something you've never seen before. 
So the curiosity of finding something you've never seen before and then falling in love with it, then you just tuck it away, and somewhere along the line you'll use that. That's great. Was the outside of the Small World Pavilion, was that gold leaf leafing? Yes, it was. In fact, we used up all the gold leaf in the United States when we did the facade for Disneyland. Wow. And we had to go to uh, Germany and get gold leaf from Germany, and it was really a cheap gold leaf. And so by the end of the year, all that gold leaf was starting to turn uh, green. So we had to completely re-gold leaf a lot of this facade work at Disneyland because we'd gotten some bad gold leaf from Germany. You used, That's crazy. You used up all of the gold leaf in the whole United States. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, we did. And then we know that you worked on the Haunted Mansion in, in Disneyland, which is one of our favorite attractions. Right. Can you um, tell us, I think there was a story that I heard you tell about the original layout of the Haunted Mansion. It was a different story than you see now. Can you kind of tell the people who are listening about that story? Because I think that's a great... It's a great story of what it was supposed to be and then why it's not. The original layout of the Haunted Mansion yes. compared to what it is now. Can you tell what it was supposed to be? Well, you know, that's another question you can't answer in a simple answer. <laughs> Let me take you back a little bit so that you understand. Sure. Okay. When Walt built Disneyland, he knew he wanted to build a Haunted Mansion. He didn't know where he was going to put it or how he was going to do it. But he knew he was going to do that. So a lot of, and of course, this was back when Walt dipped, dipped into the animation department for ideas. So he had a lot of guys in animation, and I think he probably said, you know, I want to do a Haunted Mansion. You guys do some sketches on what you might see in a Haunted Mansion. So these, these animators did all these marvelous sketches, which were kept. And when I was finally assigned to work on the Haunted Mansion, Yale, working, we were working as a team, Yale, Gracie and I, we got all these sketches out of the, uh, the, uh, the library, archives. Uh, uh, yeah, the archives, and started looking at them to get ideas of what we should put in the Haunted Mansion. So that basically got us started. Yale got started on doing some of the illusions that were in there, and I got started on ideas that I thought should go in there, because I always felt it should be weird and, and scary. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, that, that's the direction I took with my work. And Yale's ideas were, of course, to, uh, he got his, some of his ideas from the Boy Mechanic, which is like a, a, a little book that came out on how to build stuff. And so he, the illusions, the best illusions out in the Haunted Mansion came out of the boy mechanic, and then my ideas just came out. And, and, and some of the things, ideas that I came up with were not used for, with what I had in mind. Uh, I had done these little kind of strange sketches, and when Clyde Coates saw him, he, he made wallpaper out of them. So I didn't design it as wallpaper, but I've got wallpaper and Disney in the Haunted Mansion that was my designs. Wasn't it meant to be a walkthrough, though? Yeah, well, Walt always wanted it as a walkthrough. And, um, of course, after Walt passed away, uh, operations was scared to death. If you had a walkthrough, there would be vandalism. So mm. they decided to make a ride out of it. Yeah. Whereas when you were working, did you just go off and then have your own artistic creations and then you met up to present your work and that's how things were chosen? Like, how how much time... Um, was involved in that like did you do you have months to work on something and then you know f- working freely um, or how did that how did that evolve as far as 
uh, your creations go. If you were asked to do something and you went off and started to design something and then made a presentation to Walt, how how much time were you allowed, or did it depend on the project, I guess? Yeah, well, probably 10 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, seriously, uh, when we decided Small World, we designed, built it, and installed it in, in nine months. So we didn't even have time to think about it. We were in the process of building it when we were designing it. And I think in most cases when I was working at WED, that's exactly how I worked. Because Walt want, would get an idea, and he wanted to get to it right away. And mm-hmm. I know that when we did the uh, Tiki Room, that was 90 days. We designed the Tiki Room and built it in 90 days. And wow. so it's just because Walt got so excited about what he wanted to do that we just went straight ahead and he went with us and that was that. So it was great. Do you have any regrets on any projects that you might've done differently if you had more time or are you, I mean, are you completely satisfied with everything as, as you see it or are you still, uh, or is there anything that sticks in your mind? Like, I wish I had a little bit more time. No, I think the explosion of doing it when you're conceiving it is better. Mm -hmm. Mm. I think if you spend too much time on something, it gets watered down. So I think that the uh, that a lot of, in this particular case, is the things that came to your mind and you build them and design it, there was an excitement that took place there. And it, I don't think you could ever do better than that. I think if you, otherwise it, it gets to be um, boring or you just overthink it. You can't afford to overthink things. If you did, then they don't turn out too good. Right. Isn't that kind of what happened with the Haunted Mansion? Because it was started and then stopped? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Haunted Mansion was a good example of that. That uh, it was an idea that Walt had. And you know, we had so much uh, background and sketches on it that uh, it was easy to just go in and grab those and go. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the fair came along, and we went to the World's Fair. Same with the... Of course, we did everything in 10 minutes for the World's Fair. <laughs> right. <laughs> Same with the Enchanted Tiki Room. That was supposed to be a restaurant, wasn't it? And it ended up being a attraction after that? The Tiki Room was meant to be a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, um, well, that was a restaurant that was, first of all, the, the history of the Tiki Room, which is kind of interesting. Walt always wanted to have a... Um, a little place on Main Street to serve tea. And because when his wife went shopping at Disneyland, he always wanted to make sure there was a a little place where she could go and sit down and have a cup of tea. And so they had this little building, this little concept of a little tea tea room. And um, so they asked me to actually do the interior design for the tea room for Main Street. Well, uh, I came up with the, the conclusion or the illusion that it should be a, 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 his, a uh, antique clock shop that you go into this little shop and you could buy all kinds of crazy antique clocks. So I was in the process of designing all these clocks for the little uh, shop on Main Street. And then the Adventureland area expand, exploded and they wanted to do more things there. And so they decided they, they wanted to put a little restaurant in there. So they came to me and said, why don't you take that little tea room idea that you've got and design a restaurant and so i said okay fine <laughs> so that's when we started designing the uh, the tiki room and because it was going to be an, an a uh, polynesian area that we had. so that was a theme that we were working with where did you get the wow. where did you get the ideas for the theming for the tiki room 
did you get the ideas for the theme of the tiki room? Well, basically, um, I, I went to, I did some homework again, and I always believe that you've got to do homework on what you're doing, and John Hinch taught me that. So I, I got a book out on missionaries and living in the islands and the myths and legends that they remember, and they did documentation. They did a book called Whispers on the Wind, and it talks about all the different legends uh, that the Polynesians have. And so reading that <clears throat> is what gave me the ideas to draw these little guys up that were legends and then have them talk to you and talk to you about about who they were and what they did. So the whole thing becomes, a, again, it becomes a story. Mm-hmm. So the Tiki Room became a story that was from the gods and the, les- and, you know, legends of the uh, islands of the Pacific. Do you, when, when is the last time, and this going in a different direction, but when was the last time you visited Disneyland Park? Oh, it's been a couple of years. When was the last time you visited the park? It's been a couple of years. <laughs> no, we, don't, we don't go down there much anymore. Yeah. You know, you after after you've been dealing with that place for over 50 years, you, you don't necessarily need to go down there and see it again. Does it feel like you're you're working when you're there, you know, because you had such hands-on with everything? Does it, is it hard for you to sit back and enjoy it like families do? No, no. No. No, because you remember it from when, when you the first time you went and mm-hmm. what it was like. You never you never forget the first time you went to Disneyland and mine particular case was the day that it opened. Yeah. So, you know, that's something that you never forget. So when you go into Disneyland, all these memories come tumbling down on you all at once at the same time. Wow. When you when Disneyland first opened, you were there. What what were you doing that day? Were you was it crazy? Were you running around everywhere? Oh, no, I went there as a guest. <laughs> I <laughs> took my family, and we went there as guests. And it was a nightmare because there was so many people you couldn't even move. You couldn't get on the rides or tra- the attraction because there's too many people. Wow. But we, I really was aware that it was really going to be something very special. And mm-hmm. I knew that as time wore on, when things were not crazy, that it would be great to go down there and spend time there, which eventually I did. Yep. So I know that you have recently retired. Are, are you still creating artwork, or what are you doing now? Oh yes. Well, well, uh, well <laughs> good question. A thousand <laughs> answers again. Um, <laughs> I so love when I re- when I retired, I started painting. Um, I had different themes that I wanted to do paintings on, and uh, I worked on you know what it was it the. Josephine Baker was a woman that was a, a uh, entertainer in France way back, and I just fell in love with her her style and, and, her, and the way she was. So I read a lot of books on Josephine Baker before I started doing paintings on her. And then there's another thing that came up. I always loved themes. I know when working for Disney, you'd always have a theme to work to, so I fell into that category of loving themes. And so... Once I met Marie, and we met on the Day of the Dead, uh, <laughs> you know, and so all of a sudden I had to start doing paintings on the Day of the Dead. In fact, we got married on the Day of the Dead, which was really kind of neat. So our anniversary. That is neat. <laughs> so uh, no, and that's a, that's a marvelous story about the Day of the Dead. So I think 
but but you know I've gotten a little older now and the fingers don't work quite like they used to. So anyway, I do a couple little pen, pen, pencil sketches now and then, but that's about it. Are you? I read somewhere that a um, couple things. I read that you had was there a charity that you were working with? Are you still with that charity, or is that was that just years ago um, that you were creating art um, for a, a child cha- a charity, a children's charity? Oh, she read somewhere that you had worked with it for a charity at some point in time. Was that the children's charity in Fallbrook? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, that was a um, rally for children as a group that is run by women in Fallbrook and uh, to help kids. And mm-hmm. so I, I did the stationery for them. I did, some, I did some paintings for an exhibit for them. So, yeah, it was kind of fun. I did that, but that was... Oh, I don't want, that was 20 years ago, for God's sake. Wow. Oh, wow. Well, we're always interested, Bruce and I are always interested in learning about charities and if there's any way we can contribute. So I love listening to stories about how, um, you know, for you, a Disney legend was involved with charities. It's always interesting to hear. They're interested and they do a lot with charities. So she was interested to know because she had read that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you, I, uh, I, you know, doing charity work is great. You know, I love that. You know, in fact, you know, when I talk, give talks and stuff, it's to pass on the past, which has mm-hmm. been dying. Nobody's ever passed it on. I was the only one that continued talking about what Walt was like in the past and everything. And for some reason, there's never been a real uh, craving for that. And that's always bothered me because I think it was such an incredible time frame that everyone should probably know that because it's, it was a basic, it started a whole industry for God's sakes. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, I always feel good about when I get a chance to talk. Now you, you, uh, a couple of years ago, you released a book. It's kind of a cute story. Um, there's been a lot of Disney books out there. Are they all pretty accurate as to how it was, what it was like to work at the Disney company and with Walt Disney himself? Or is there any stories that kind of stick out in your mind that you could share with the audience here? I don't know. I haven't read them. <laughs> no, I haven't. I've, I've seen a lot of them. Um, of course, it's through my eyes of what it was like living there and working there and knowing Walt. I, um, I think I've taken a different approach to my mm-hmm. stories. Um, I think they're more personal. And uh, being that I lived them, uh, that even makes a big difference. A lot of the stories that had been written were hearsay stories. Mm. And none of mine are hearsay. Yeah. All mm-hmm. of mine are things that actually took place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really important for Bruce and I. We are trying to spread the message and go back in history and time and really trying to get everyone to slow down a bit and appreciate the park themselves and what it was, what each attraction we feel, it's just a piece of history. And we're trying to bring that in our show and our listeners seem to love it. So we just can't thank you enough for joining us today. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Oh, that's great. She explained that the purpose of them doing their podcast and their show, Uh because they want to keep the history alive. It's important to them. It seems to be appreciated by their listeners. Yeah. And so that's their main goal, is to remind people how this incredible place came about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the one thing that bothers me the most is the people that write about Disney and never experience it. It's just all hearsay. And mm-hmm. that bothers me because they try to make it sound like 
they were right there on the spot, and they weren't. They're just passing on hearsay. And when you pass on hearsay, you never get it straight. <laughs> it's right. always through your eyes of what you thought you saw. So, Exactly, exactly. That's why we're incredibly humble today to have you with us. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We're really. humble to have you with them. Well, I'm humble to be with you, so there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe perhaps. You know, it's really funny because I tell a lot of people, well, what was it like to work on they're just going to work every day. It's a job. <laughs> right. I never looked at it any more than it was a job, and I enjoyed the job. I think it's important, though, that you enjoyed the job. So many people, I feel, nowadays are in something they don't truly have passion for. And we try to teach our children. And that's why I'm so I, I'm so happy that you mentioned, you know, that you, you taught yourself and that, you know, what you said about curiosity. It's a message that I I. I want to share with our kids because I really feel like everyone, each and one, every one of us has that special something. And if you can enjoy and do what you love, you're going to live a fantastic life. So exactly. I'm really, wow. And, uh, she was thrilled to hear you talk about your passion and your curiosity. And those are things she wants to pass to their children. Because if you're, if you find your passion, you can have an incredible life. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. Uh, why don't you tell them about your portfolio? Because she appreciated the fact that you were self-taught. Yes. Yeah. Well, my portfolio uh, is kind of interesting. It was just a lot of sketches that I did at home af- after work, and some of them actually went back to high school. So they asked me to bring my portfolio in. I did a couple little cartoon sketches because I thought they'd probably want to look at, at stuff that looks like it might have been drawn by Mickey Mouse. <laughs> I did those. <laughs> And then I did, uh, then I showed a lot of things I had done that were kind of like comic strips, like Prince Valiant, something that was kind of realistic but fanciful. And so it was kind of a catch-all of of, uh, my portfolio. And I presented it, and they decided to hire me. And so I was hired. But then years later, when I transferred from animation and go to work for WED, the gentleman that was in charge of animation that time, he says, you know, Roly, he says, you must have been a, a, a diamond in the rough, he said, because your portfolio was the worst portfolio by any artist that attempted to get oh a job God. there. <laughs> oh, my and goodness. That's great. And I, and, I, and, I, and I look back on it now, and I, I don't think it was just the worst portfolio. The difference <laughs> is you have to look at it this way. The people that were really looking at my portfolio were not what you would consider real good artists. The thing is that Everyone that got a job at Disney in animation had been to an art school. So they Mm -hmm. had beautiful pieces of renderings and beautiful pieces of artwork, where mine was just a lot of cartoony stuff. And Mm -hmm. so I think that I felt that the cartoony stuff fit into their their business more than just beautiful illustrations. So Mm -hmm. I've always been very proud proud of my portfolio, and I want you to know I still have it <laughs> in case I go out to look for a job again. <laughs> is there any place that people can go look at it online? Is there a website or any place that the people can kind of go look at all your artwork and what you've created over the years? No, not really. There's no place to really see all of your art online. I mean, no. there's a lot of it out there from yeah. people, but no, no. not really. Actually, my book has an awful lot of art in it that was part of my portfolio mm. great so we'll, we'll uh mm-hmm. we'll show people that in the show notes here for this episode so raleigh i appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join us today it was great to talk to you and uh like connie said re- really humbling to be able to talk to you and hear about 
right. what it was actually like to work with Walt Disney and at the Disney Company. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Roly. I really appreciate it. Maybe someday we can meet in person and do this uh, a part okay. two. Where are you guys? We're in the East Coast. Yeah, we're in Boston. Uh, but but it, we're just a plane ride away. Boston. <laughs> Boston. Oh, Boston. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a New yeah. Jersey girl. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's cold here. Well, we, we were just in. We actually just went to California last week. We were just in Disneyland. Um, oh, okay. The, and that was our first cool. trip to Disneyland. We've been to Disney World many, many times. But that was oh, our sure, first trip to sure. Disneyland, and it was great. It was a great experience. What did you think of it compared to Disney World? I must ask. Uh, I thought it was. It a, was. Go ahead. Yeah, can I, can I answer for yeah, Bruce? Yeah, she can answer for me. Yeah. I I usually do answer for Bruce. <laughs> I understand that, Connie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was absolutely breathtaking. I yeah. feel like when I, you know, we started the show because of our love of D- Walt Disney and Walt Disney World, um, you know, so our show based was based on Walt Disney World. But as mm-hmm. the show has grown and we're researching and bringing back that history, uh, we had to visit Disneyland. And um, sure. so our listeners joined us. And I will say, when I saw the It's a Small World, I stopped in my tracks. Yeah. yeah. I really did. It's truly the, such a piece of art. Everything yeah. about it, just so magical. And it, it truly is a very special place that we hope everyone will get to experience. And that's going back to our charity. Bruce and I are trying to think of ways that we can help bring more families over there because it truly is special. Oh, yeah. I have the chills listening to you because <laughs> I did the opposite. I, I had seen um, uh, Disneyland before I saw Disney World, actually. And I was just so disappointed in Small World at yes. Disney World. Yeah. Mm-hmm, After mm-hmm. seeing, you know, Disneyland. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I was the same. I said the same exact thing to Connie when we were in Disneyland. We went on, you know, obviously you can see Small World from outside. It's amazing. Then you go on the attraction. It's just a, such a different experience. It's yeah. it's totally different. You would never expect it to be anything like it is in Disney World compared to Disneyland. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Well, your guys are doing a, a good job as well, passing on the stories. and Thank you. Yeah, so we appreciate that. Thank, thank you so you. much. Nice I really to talk appreciate to you. Yeah, nice you talk too, to you and as thank well. you for arranging. And we hope someday we get to we'll get to meet in person. Thank you thank very you. much for calling. Thank you guys thank so much. You. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you're right. very Bye-bye. welcome. Bye now. Right. Bye bye. Bye bye. What an incredible story! What an incredible honor to have with us, Roly and Marie. Such fun. Such a great story, and I couldn't be happier. You talked a lot more than I thought you were going to. I had such a blast. You know, there was something about Roly and his just background. I love his incredible – he's just such an artist, and I just love that about him. And It really made me relax a lot. And having Marie on, too, definitely made us both kind of relate relatable to being married and the whole thing. Definitely. Well, <laughs> if you want to go pick up his book, it's kind of a cute story. We'll link that up in the show notes for this episode. I definitely think you should go check that out. Um, go pick it up. It's available on Amazon, and you can check out all Rolly's art. There's a lot of pictures in there of all his artwork that he's worked on over the years. Incredible. So thanks to Rolly and Marie. That was great. I can't imagine. I can't believe that we are get to, getting to interview some of these people who have worked on these great attractions like Small World and Haunted Mansion and actually talk to them in person, kind of in person, I guess. But it's still, <laughs> it's still amazing to me that we get this great opportunity. 
and they make us feel like they've been lifelong friends and that's wonderful. It's just such an incredible experience and I will tell you, I am through the moon. So this is going to last a long time. Yes, I agree. And I just want to say thank you for listening right now because it's because of you listening to our show um, that we do get this great opportunity. So I just wanted to say thank you for listening. Thank you to everybody. Thank you for all your messages, your emails. Just got a voice message from a listener, Erin. I can't thank you enough. It's so much fun hearing their voices too. It is. I love it. We'll play those on the air, even if you tell me I can't. (laughs) I knew you were wanting to do it. (laughs) I love joining. I love when everyone joins us on our Monday show. It's um, on Facebook Live every Monday now at 8 p.m. So much fun. It is. So join us on facebook.com forward slash unlocking the magic. If you want to join us on the show, we're maybe putting together where our 100th episode is coming up soon you know i think can't believe it yeah this is number 88 so we're only 12 episodes away from 100 and that's unbelievable in itself Uh, maybe we'll do something a listener email show or a listener show we're working on something so head over to unlockingthemagic.com and leave us a voice message you can do that from the website there and uh, maybe we'll have you on the 100th episode of the show thank you so much everybody truly really incredible of all of you (laughs) thank you so much guys We'll, we'll talk to you next week